general nerdery. So after recording podcasting today, I'm going to go play Mario Kart with uh, my wife and I'm going to go play Mario Kart with our friend Yui, who's been on the show a lot of times. And because this is Mario Kart and this is something the three of us take extremely seriously because it was how we competed when we were all roommates together. I was talking a lot of smack beforehand. Yes, exactly. That's what you do. And, you know, we always follow the rule. Only talk smack of the other's characters. Never be like, Yui, you suck because you've met Yui. Mm -hmm. Yui does not suck. They're wonderful. Luigi can die in a fire. Um, (laughs) But I was talking some real confident smack. And I am so tired today, Tyler. I'm. This was the worst possible day for me to be like, "Oh, y'all are screwed." Gonna be falling asleep. <laughs> yeah, right. Like Waluigi is not gonna perform well tonight. <laughs> Welcome to General Nerdery, your podcast about liking things and literally nothing else to do with Mario Kart today. But uh, here we all are. I could bend it into Mario Kart somehow. <laughs> which leaguer is which Mario Kart character? Yeah, no, that sounds too hard. No, it's. <laughs> Anyways, I'm Zach, I'm Tyler. and I forgot how to do this intro when we're not blending the two together, which is funny because we never figured out how to do the intro when it was just, yeah. Also, I'm a, I'm a Bowser. Bowser's great. In the N64, all about Bowser. Mm-hmm. I like Waluigi because he's a little more maneuverable. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I think, I can't remember which game I get. Because I feel like this only applied to one of them, maybe two of them, not and not necessarily every Mario Kart. Mm-hmm. But somebody actually like did the math, and like whoever the bigger characters are, whether you know DK Bowser, the high speed, low acceleration characters, mm-hmm. mathematically work out to being the best in the game. Well, I will always argue for Waluigi, so sure, because their their acceleration uh, penalty isn't enough to make up for how fast yeah. to get to their top speed. I've definitely noticed that if I rarely am starting, but it's not long for me to, to be passing. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, what have we been ingesting? What? This I, week, not much. Yeah, no, this is going to be a short first half of this podcast. Cause, uh, I feel like this entire week, I really wasn't super like, on top of ingesting media, not in like a bad way, just like I relaxed and like I laid around the apartment and I played with my cat. And... It hits uh, above 50 degrees and sunny in Montana for the first time since like October. And I have taken so many naps as an end result. <laughs> like um, That too, just like good sleeping. Yeah. Like need, need it. My body needs it. <laughs> Um, so I did finish Avenue five, which I brought up. Had started yes. That was week. the, the, uh, the Hugh Laurie. Hugh Laurie. I was like Jeeves and Wooster guy. It was really good. I'm pretty bummed. They're not getting the third season. Oh, bummer. I didn't hear about that. It, yeah. It turns out that they canceled it like a week before me and Marge started it. Uh, and it just got the news. <laughs> so that happened. Um, which is a bummer. I, I feel like it's one of those shows where I under—I can understand where they canceled it, especially because it looked really fucking expensive. Oh, I can't imagine that show was cheap, and I've only seen the trailers. It looks really fucking expensive, <laughs> dude. Like, I don't know how they got the pass to make the show in the first place that looks that expensive. But, like, it was a show I already liked, and I felt like it was even getting better, and, mm. like, where it was going to go in the third season was going to get even more interesting, and... 
now I'm not going to get a third season. So We don't really do news anymore, but have you followed the saga of what's happening with Willow at all? I, I saw a couple headlines, and I think I read, like, a paragraph worth of an article, but I didn't really follow too closely. So it was canceled and then uncanceled because it was never really canceled kind of thing? Right, okay, they that's repo- what I thought I caught. They reported canceled, and really what happened was, from what I've gathered, that they released all the actors from their contracts. And everyone's like, it was canceled, because, you know, that often means that. And then uh, John Kazdan, the guy who's been running the show, popped up and was like, no, no, shut the fuck up. No. And they're like, we have plans for what we're calling volume two and hints of volume three. But it's not coming anytime like soon. It's not going to be a later this year release. Right. Uh-huh. We haven't even announced what that is yet. It could be a different series, could be a, a TV show, but um we don't want to make these actors not be able to work while this is happening. Mm-hmm. So go get and your jobs. Ties into sort of across the board. It seems like over at Disney, there has been a slowdown in the production of some of their things. It is not of, just Disney. Yeah, it it's not is, just um, Disney, but they they probably had the most notable and noticeable mm-hmm. changes because of the way that they had already laid out their roadmap. And then it was suddenly like, Oh no, we're actually going to like, we're still planning on doing every single one of these, but we're going to space this a little bit more. And maybe you're only going to get two a s- series a year instead of four. And like, not the worst idea product. in the world. In like, yeah, no, no, totally. Yeah. Totally. It's the same way. Star Trek discovery was canceled which bums me out, but also I understand that that was an extremely expensive series to film and they can't reuse props in similar ways that they can with some of the other Star Treks because it takes place 800 years later. Right. Yeah. That <laughs> That's a little like, oh, it's so good though. Oh They're not going to get too wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Yeah. Um, but I'm sorry, I interrupted you. you just, oh, no, it's fine because I. Let's see, there was an Avenue 5. I read that the that Robin comic you lent me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robin by Joshua Williamson is the most recent Damian Wayne series. Mm-hmm. Which, that was fun. It's great. It's Robin in Mortal Kombat, kind of. It's also kind of just a Robin version of uh, Seven Capital Cities of Heaven. Yes. Very, I mean, any kind of... Kung Fu tournament in fantasy. It reminded me a little bit of that because of how his whole like excursion to the outside part of it and then having to get back. Now that you pointed out, yep, that's very, I haven't read the seven capital cities in heaven, you know, long Mm -hmm. time. And that's uh, nothing to take away from it. Like, Oh no. uh, uh, I noticed the similarities and I was like, I'm down. I liked it. I love seven capital cities of heaven. That's a iron. I didn't mention iron fist story. Um, we'll be reading it on word balloons within the next few months. Um, good. It's great. It's such a good story. The the best Iron Fist story. Not a terribly high bar to pass, but yeah. (laughs) Um, and then like, I guess the only other really big thing would be, I mean, I watched train to Busan for fried squirms, which that's, Mm-hmm. I'll be talking about that more here in a little bit, so don't need to get into it too much right now. Um, and the latest episode of Mando. 
I haven't. I'm so far behind. I'm not so far. I'm one episode behind on like four different shows, which is driving me up a wall. But yeah, like I haven't watched the the first episode of the new season of Ted Lasso. yet. I've got the new season of Ted Lasso. I've got Mando episode three and I've got Bad Batch episode whatever it is, we're yeah. up to now. It's like 12 or something. And I really want to watch all of them. But we already promised to play Mario Kart with Yui tonight. So, like, <laughs> we will get there. But, but other than that, no, I just, nothing, nothing was really perking me up as far as. It's only know. been a week in our case. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, not that, that. I mean, in my case, the biggest thing that I ingested was what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So, like. I guess that's the other thing. Like, that was a good afternoon of mine. Yeah. Oh, so. Oh, actually, um, no, I take that back. There is, like, because I've been kind of, uh, I don't know. Like, whenever I fired up my Xbox this week, nothing was really speaking to me. Mm-hmm. Not even really burnt out on games, just like I wasn't sure what I was in the mood for. Yeah. There's one game I have been playing a lot this week, and I can't believe I forgot to bring this up last week with how much it ties into uh, what we've been talking about on New Island. Mm-hmm. And I did talk to Mac about this already, Uh obviously off mic and we have both had a little chuckle about it i don't know why i didn't think about it i just had the two things so completely separate in my mind as i've been going through more marvel snap i already mentioned that like i've become partial to discard decks Mm -hmm. the particular discard deck i am trying to set up i have a couple more cards to get it working the way i want it to though i have a very working skeleton currently is based around an interaction between Dracula and Apocalypse. Oh, that's perfect. And Morbius is one of the better cards in the deck. That makes me angry. (laughs) (laughs) Morbius is not a good card unless you're rocking a dedicated discard deck, in which case it might become the best two-drop in the game. Oh, that's interesting. I need to start playing Marvel Snap, just so words make more sense to me. (laughs) I know. No, I feel... But yeah, uh, I'm... I guess for anyone who does play Snap out there, I'm currently putting together a uh, Apocalypse Dracula discard deck, which is kind of hilarious. Um, Clayton and, Henry is very proud of you. <laughs> and the the things I'm still missing to make it just really hum are a Hell Cow and a Colleen Wing. This series, this. Every time you talk about Marvel Snap, I'm like, I need to play this game. And then you drop, like, the Infinanaut or Hellcow. And I'm just like, I'm really, okay, this is, this is what I'm into. Like, However, uh, I recently unlo- um, uh, unlocked Wong, and that's been having some great fun interactions. Because most, uh, most discard effects are on-reveal effects, mm-hmm. and he makes it so that on-reveal effects happen twice to any card that's played after him on a certain spot. Oh, that's mean. That's mean. Okay. Let's see. Um, I started All-New X-Factor by... Not All-New X-Factor. That's a specific series. It is X-Factor by Peter David. The storyline is titled All-New X-Factor. Which only matters because later on, Peter David will write a series called All New X-Factor, which is a different series. Uh, X-Factor by Peter David is a... It came out right around the same time as Jim Lee's X-Men number one. You know, the 
the book that kind of made Jim Lee the legend to let him make image mm-hmm. made either way. It's like the big X-Men book. This book is like havoc and strong guy and multiple man. And it's all the like B and C level dipshits that I fucking love following in comic books. It's I'm only like 20 pages in I've read at least the first story arc, but it was years ago. So it's um just familiar enough to be interesting, but uh, uh, not like I know every page that's happening. I do know that they're about to fight the nasty boys, which is just the most nineties dumb name for a, a, a super villain team. Mr. Sinister's nasty boys. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> I don't like it. Oh, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't either. Other than that, I've been listening to uh, Dan Carlin's hardcore history, which is, he only drops like two episodes a year, but they tend to these days be four or five hours long mm. and super in-depth history things. He talks about trying to have like 20 sources for a, a episode when he does them. They're, they're nuts. Okay. Um, I hear from actual historians. They're not great when it comes to like actually like discussing how history works on an academic level, but he's not trying to either. He's finding interesting things from history and telling interesting stories with them. Right. Like, uh, it, it is funny though. Cause the, the one right that he just dropped is like twilight of the Aesir or something. And it is about kind of the, the end of the Viking age or like the rise and fall of the Viking mm-hmm. age. And it's a follow-up to one of his old episodes called Thor's angels that I don't really understand why it's called Thor's Angels, because it's mostly about Europe post the fall of the Roman Empire up through the uh, the creation of the Holy Roman Empire, so up through, like, Charlemagne. So Thor is not super involved, but either way. But at the end of that one, he was like, I'm really sorry, this was a four-hour episode. I don't want to make four-hour episodes. Like, I want to do shorter things, like an hour every couple months. <laughs> Man... That's not going to work out for you 10 years later here, bud. Um, Cece hates him. She just finds everything he talks, like his voice and the way he talks about things annoying. Uh, I love this guy. I know a lot of other history podcast people are fans of Dan Carlin. So I guess might be worth checking out if you want a kind of dry history podcast. Not dry. Very history focused and much less fart jokes than you find in a lot of podcasting. That does remind me. Did I mention when I started listening to Bandsplain? No, I don't. I've never heard of this. Okay, I want to bring this up because it's actually kind of neat. Um, as far as I know, it's a podcast that is Spotify only. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it it puts that to extremely good use because it's done sort of in conjunction with like the the Spotify podcasting service and because uh, I think it's Anchor that's connected to Spotify. I'm not like sure. Anchor.fm. Um, anyway, it's a music podcast where they talk about different bands, generally a little bit more culty, but not necessarily because like you don't get listeners that way. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to be completely honest, like you got to throw in some of the big hitters too, or else people aren't going to latch on as much. Right. No, totally. Um, and I can't remember the host name. Um, she's fine, but 
Yeah, she does her job. I don't want to sound like I'm getting down on her, but like is generally the least interesting part to me of any of the. It definitely happens. There's there's the podcasts that I listen to for the hosts, and then there's podcasts I listen to for the content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this and is sometimes the there's both, but like yes. So they'll also have on like a uh, expert of some kind, whether it, it's a person who's just a gigantic fan or mm-hmm. someone who is like I don't to work for Rolling Stone or something and has written about whatever band for however long anyway and has followed their career because of this or that. And they'll go through the history of a band and every, you know, 7 to 15 minutes of them talking, they'll cut in a song because it's all on Spotify. Oh, so they can, yeah. And it'll just go into the song as they're talking about that time period, and then they'll cut back into the podcast, and it's, like, divided up into little subchapters. See, that's why I don't listen to a whole lot of music podcasts, because in a lot of cases, they're like, now you should go listen to this song. I'm like, I'm not gonna... Right. I'm not yeah. gonna do that. I don't have time. Yeah, like, this I'm... one is legit just like, cool, now we're gonna listen to Seek and Destroy by Metallica. Hell yeah. Or beef rap by mf doom or <laughs> miracles by insane clown Posse. man i said hell yeah to metallica and then you bring up mf doom i i put my hell yeah way too early <laughs> the metallica is like a two-part episode and each part is like four hours long they have a long and yes, interesting <laughs> career I'm not all the way finished with that yet though i have in fact listened to the mf doom and insane clown Posse once Magnets, how the fuck do they work? That's a great question. I don't really knock on Insane Clown Posse. They're not my style, but more power to them. But that is possibly one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to listening to Bands Plane, that song definitely comes out on my workout mixes now. (laughs) And sometimes I listen to it, and sometimes I'm like, I am not dealing with this right now. What did you think this last episode? Of, oh, you just said you didn't watch Mando. No, I'm so, one episode uh, behind on okay, Mando. Never mind. Uh, never mind. So I'm only through episode two, which was friggin' sweet. I did hear this episode compared to Andor, which I thought was... It is a very Andor episode. Uh, which made me think of you and immediately being like, I've been broken by Andor! It, it's, a, it's weird pacing-wise in terms of like going from the last episode into that. Yeah, the last episode was a dungeon crawl. But I enjoyed it. It is oh, some I... of the more interesting storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like, I I enjoy Mando's storytelling, but it's not... Deep. Deep. <laughs> it's a Western. We kind of know what's going to happen. And now Arthurian time. legend. Like, yeah. it's all sorts of weird. You, you kind of have a guess of where it might be going. Mm-hmm. Maybe not episode by episode, but once you're watching the episode, you're like... Okay, it, probably sometime within the next 10 minutes, something along these lines is going to happen. Right. Um, this one, I was like, I, this doesn't seem good for anybody. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I know the character that's involved. Like, I, I've just, through osmosis, picked up a thing or two that's happening. So I'm like, well, that's probably bad, but uh, here we are. It's a, it's an interesting one. I'm, I'll be curious to hear your thoughts. I'm really looking forward to watching it. I'm, and of course, by then, we'll also have more episodes to talk about. I'm too. really looking forward to watching that, too. Like, I just want to get caught up on stuff. Mm-hmm. 
No trailers? We week? didn't even discuss trailers today. I That's mean, how low trailers are right now. I was about to say, I took a look this morning, and I saw nothing jump out at me, so I didn't care. I heard there was a storyline trailer released for the newest Star Wars Jedi Survivor, or Jedi whatever it's called, but like... Dope, until I finish the first one, I don't care. Yeah. I've never played it. You never finished the first one. I just... Mm-hmm. It's fun. Yeah. James Gunn confirmed he's directing Superman, but we already knew he was like, yeah, he was we didn't know, but we knew he was going to be directing it. I'm, I'm so, I'm happy about oh that. Oh my God. I love his sensibilities that he's been bringing to superheroes lately. I think he's going to be able to nail Superman. Yeah. And he understands that you don't, I mean, I assume from everything I've ever read about him and the way he presents stuff that you don't just have to grim dark up Superman. I'm not worried about a fucking two and a half hours of sepia tone. Right. And that being said, he also has the type of sensibilities where it's also not going to be super saccharine. No. Overly sweet. He will make you feel things while also letting things happen. Like, and that's such a hard line to play sometimes Mm -hmm. I've realized how much I've been poisoned by Star Trek, the next generation when I try to like plot out a comic book and be like, but my characters like each other. (laughs) Like, (laughs) right. There needs to be conflict sometimes, but man, next gen is the show I have watched more than any other show in the world. And one of the rules was like, they can have disagreements, but all characters have like a basic friendship and respect for one another. Makes it a little hard sometimes to, like... You know what? Not to get too far ahead, just talking about that concept and how hard it can be to write. I feel like Morrison nails it with JLA. We will definitely get into... Oh, my God. I'm so excited for this. (laughs) There's nothing else for us to talk about. Yeah, I guess on that, I'll take a quick break on the world's shortest first part of the episode, and uh, we'll be right back to talk about Grant Morrison's JLA. One of the biggest problems I had planning for this, because I did more research for this episode than I have done in many episodes. And admittedly, it was still not a lot of research because I'm not good at podcasting. But um, (laughs) part of the problem is me trying to remember like interviews that I read years ago or like articles that I read years ago and desperately trying to be like, uh, uh, JLA before Grant Morrison issues search go <laughs> like trying to google like 10 year old comic news articles turns out doesn't work very well right yeah i've found that some myself in trying to do different research for things You're, for you can even get very specific with your terms mm-hmm. and somebody's using that for seo for something that they did recently anyway and right like, Uh, For the most part, I am pretty confident on the information I'm giving. If it is something that I read in an interview years ago and I can't confirm it, I will try to admit that going forward. But I mean, even that, for the most part, it's not going to be super important. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Grant Morrison, JLA. For me, this is one of my like all-time favorite team books, and team books are some of my favorite superhero stuff. I've been reading this book since high school. I mean, to the point that the structure that we are setting this up off of is based off collected editions that came out in like 2005, which is maybe the worst way to do to structure this. But I mean, it works fine. It's just kind of one of those like we'll be reading these because that's what I read in volume three. Um, You've never read this book before. No, this has been near the top of my to get to in D.C. for a long time, Mm -hmm. but. 
we've been going really hard on Marvel things lately. So. Yeah, no, I, oh my God, I was so, so into doing a DC book and doing one that, at least for me, was just a joy to read here. Like, I have critiques of this book, mm-hmm. but I found myself getting kind of giddy because I haven't read some of these in so long. I had to stop myself from reading all 15 issues in one sitting. I read them in two. Um, and I, I simply, I wanted to split it up just so I could have better time to like absorb Mm -hmm. so I could actually talk about it later. Not for any other reason at all. (laughs) It was hard to stop myself. I was like, I even got through the, the first, um, first issue of the actual rock of ages storyline. And I'm like, I need to put this down while I'm only one issue in before I get any more hooked. Well, and obviously we've talked about it before. Both of us are big Grant Morrison fans. Mm-hmm. And this is, very I would say this is for Morrison? one very restrained for Morrison because this is the book that let him go nuts on later stuff. But two, I would argue this is probably his most successful mainstream work that he puts out because of this book directly. We get all-star Superman. We get some of the stuff from his Batman run. We get final crisis, which is probably his most controversial mainstream work. But I mean, rock of ages is the prototype for a huge company wide crossover. He does years later. Yes. Just as a note, I believe Grant Morrison is going. Thank you so much. I'm sorry. That only happened within the last, like it happened. Yes. So it is. (laughs) I am still working on that one. Uh, Please correct me if I, if I mess up again. And I'll try to do the same for you. They, them, you are correct. I'm at, I was actually super excited when I read that and went, you know, that makes parts of doom patrol make a lot more sense to me. Yeah. I think it makes a Reg- lot of their work make a lot more sense. Regis in particular, but a lot mm-hmm. of other stuff. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Grant Morrison is the mad Scott of comic books, probably most famous for his works on doom patrol and animal man. Although All-Star Superman might be his most, I don't know. Their most. Their most. God damn it. it would, <laughs> I lasted 30 seconds. I don't know. What would you put as like his, their most famous? I mean, I, Doom Patrol? Doom Patrol as a series based off of it. Yeah. Because they, they definitely go hard on the Morrison aspect of, of this. It's hard to do anything not Morrison with Doom Patrol. Morrison almost ruined Doom Patrol as an ongoing book <laughs> because anything is anything they make now in Doom Patrol is going to be based like or compared to Morrison's work. Right. And we've both read Doom Patrol. It's not perfect, but it is one of the most brilliant, like weird comic books of the era that I ever read. So it's it's hard not to compare it. If I so this might not be one of the most famous, but I think it's more famous than we normally give it credit for due to it, how heavily it um, influenced the first game in Arkham, Arkham Asylum. I was gonna say a serious house on a serious mm-hmm. earth. I, man, I said Doom Patrol, and I I realized as I was talking about this, the stuff that I'm saying that Morrison is most famous for is all of the stuff that you have to be kind of into comics already to like delve into i don't know many people who don't read comics who found doom patrol right i found plenty of people who don't really read comics who have found either arkham asylum a series house on series earth or all-star superman yes also morrison wrote 
one of my most hated X-Men runs of all time. Like, I'm not saying Morrison's perfect, but I mean, even that new X-Men is one of the most important X-Men runs of all time. It's just, they make choices and you either like vibe really strongly with those choices or you don't. Morrison, in my opinion, is not a great Marvel writer. He might be the best writer DC has ever had, though. I think the other works you might be familiar with, I think, depend on how you got into comics. Fair enough. Like, if you get into comics because of, like, some of the great writers, mm-hmm. like, like I did. Like, I got into comics because of Gaiman, because of Moore, because of Morrison. You got in because of the Vertigo stuff. Um and so you, like, with that, like, you automatically hear about Animal Man. Mm-hmm. Even though most other people, they'd be like, Animal Man? What the are hell? You, like, are yeah. you kidding me? They're but, just... I mean, uh, the Coyote Gospels from Animal Man, it's a, it is, in my opinion, possibly the greatest written single issue of a comic book ever written. Mm-hmm. Like, it's amazing. Um, if you start getting into weird teams, there's no way you don't run across Seven Soldiers. Yeah. Oh, man, I was so annoyed part of this came from we were talking about covering seven soldiers and i went to the comic book store to pick it up and uh had a very fun conversation with reed the guy who runs the local uh he doesn't run the local comic book store but he's like their comic book guy like that's his specialty area and i was like all right i need uh seven soldiers victory volumes one through three or however it's collected i don't know you know, I, I I haven't, I don't know what they're releasing in collected editions or if it's an omnibus or what. And he's like, do we need this? Which version do you prefer? Should, is this the one I should aim for? I'm like, I just need the issues, man. <laughs> like, right. uh, and then it turns out it's not currently in print anywhere, mm. which means it's probably going to come back into print soon because DC has been retiring a lot of their old printed editions so they can release new fancy ones because suckers like me fall for that. But It'll get me seven soldiers, so more power to it. They did a great episode, not episode, they did a great issue of Hellblazer. Does not surprise me at all. I, it was only, it was like a one-off. If I remember right, Morrison and Gaiman did one-offs almost back-to-back. <sighs> Hellblazer, a.k.a. John Constantine, is the, the book that if you're a strange British man that writes comic books... You were somehow involved? You were going to be. I remember when they canceled Hellblazer, finally, which blew the entire comic world away. Everyone's like, you can't cancel Hellblazer. Even though, admittedly, it had been years since it had been a big book. Uh, Paul Cornell, who has written a bunch of stuff, he's great. He wrote uh, Captain Britain and the MI-13. Was like, I'm a British comic writer. I was supposed to be able to write Hellblazer. Why is this? Why did this not happen? (laughs) Like, what are you doing? Fair. Good point. (laughs) Before we dive into this, uh, who is the the artist on this one? I know his name. Um, he's uh, uh, oh, that's gonna drive me nuts. Howard Porter. Howard Porter. So in these books, especially these first three volumes, without being mean to Howard Porter, he is the weak point of these books yes. by a lot. I will say something that I did not realize before this: he had almost zero comic book experience before this. He had written or not written illustrated 15, 12 to 15 issues of the Ray, which, okay. okay. Ray is a fun character, but like, that's not a, a big name thing. And he had done the mini series. Um, oh, uh, vil- not villains United. It did. The mini series were near on first shows up and dark stars. No, no, he did do dark stars, but 
Underworld, Underworld something. Unleashed. Underworld Unleashed. But I mean, like, maybe 20 issues of published comics before this, and then they put him on JLA. JLA. Kind of shows how not big Justice League was in the early 90s. Also, I will say, Porter's style from the beginning of this run to the end of this run, wild growth. It's actually real. I mean, even just on the, I was gonna say, in the 15 first, issues we read. Yeah. Um, I was having a, a lot less issues with it, like. By Rock of Ages. By Rock of Ages, basically. Yeah. I mean, but even that said, he has super good moments in each one. Um, before we get into this book itself, I thought it might be useful to put context of how big and important the series is. A very abbreviated history of the Justice League as a book. Do it. To, um, to yeah. Anyways, Justice League first appeared in an issue of Brave of the Bold. It was a recreation of Justice Society. Now, during the early Silver Age, they were recreating a bunch of characters. That's why we have the Barry Allen Flash. That's why we have Hal Jordan as the Green Lantern instead of Jay Garrick and Alan Scott. Um, they went with League instead of Society because Justice Society sounded stuffy to them. And the guy, I want to say Gardner Fox, but I did not look this up. The, the editor at the time was like, I like sports. Sports are popular, like... Yeah. League. Let's go with League. Justice League of America. Their very famous first cover where it's the sev the big seven, as they've become known, uh, fighting Starro. Yes. And the big seven being Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, uh, Green Lantern, Flash, Aquaman, and the Martian Manhunter. Martian Manhunter is generally considered the least important of those, and it drives me up a wall because, in my opinion, he's the most important. And I think these books will do a good job of kind of, like, mm -hmm. starting to really sum up how important he is. But we're not there yet. Uh, they first had a base in Happy Harbor, and then later on got a satellite. So, for the mm -hmm. first 20 or so years of the Justice League is known as the Satellite Era or the Satellite League, because literally that's their base. During this time, we start to get in new members like uh, Hawkman, Adam, Green Arrow, uh, kind of Metamorpho, um, kind of Hawkgirl, but that was mostly sexism. She wasn't technically allowed to be a member because, oh, right. and they had to come up with like a stupid excuse. Mm -hmm. And it was, I think, uh, you can't have two members with the same powers. But she was always hanging out with them anyways because she was Hawkman's girl. Don't it's dumb. Uh, uh, elongated man because they didn't realize they owned the rights to Plastic Man. Um, <laughs> Black Canary, who I should have mentioned earlier because she's one of the most important. Red Tornado, Firestorm. Anyways, in 1985, by that point, most of the big name characters weren't super involved anymore. You know, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman were kind of doing their own things. I don't even think Flash and Green Lantern were active at the time in the league. I'm not sure. But the new Teen Titans was incredibly popular. So they're like, all right, we're going to recreate the Justice League as a like hip young group of uh, uh, diverse characters and et cetera, et cetera. And they hired Gary Conway, who is one of the great comic book writers of comic book history. I mean, he wrote the death of Gwen Stacy. He's extremely important, but man, he swung in a miss with what has become known as justice league Detroit. Oh, uh, with the idea, JLD, 
It's never, it was never officially called that, but that's just what the era has been dubbed. Because one thing was the Titans were either in New York City or San Francisco, depending on what era of the Titans, and I don't remember. But the idea of let's put them earthbound, let's have, you know, again, as I said, a diverse cast of character, not seven white guys, five white guys, a white woman, and a green dude. Mm-hmm. And it was Aquaman, Martian Manhunter, a character whose name is the racial slur for the Romani people. Right. Vibe, who is, I mean, uh, the Flash TV series has done a lot of good work with Cisco, but Vibe himself in the early days was one of the most racist caricatures of a Mexican man, uh, partially because the terrible accent and partially because it was based off breakdancing. Yeah. A, a, a fad that had already died and um, steel, but not awesome. John Henry irons, iron man, Superman kind of thing. Steel, a, a recreation of a golden age character also named steel who is utterly unremarkable. I don't have a problem with steel. Like he, there's some kind of fun character design, but he is, but he's not the good steel. He is utterly unremarkable. Sometimes he's called, no, not Sergeant Steel, but like Commander Steel or something. Oh, yeah, he's, okay. Yeah. He's strong. That, yeah. That's it. Oh, and Vixen. Vixen is like the one successful character to come out of Justice League Detroit. This was quickly abandoned because no one really cared for it. And what is known as JLI or Justice League International is an era that comes forward. JLI is one of the great comic book runs of history. So awesome. Uh, it is also known as the Bwahaha era because it brought in funny and they would actually use Bwahaha a lot. It is a hugely influential era for me specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's where we get like Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, Captain Adam joins the league. This will eventually split into Justice League International, Justice League Europe. We start getting more spinoffs instead of just one book because Justice League was selling really well for the first time since like the 60s or 70s. And this eventually sort of devolves in the early 90s because a lot of things devolved in the early 90s in comics. And we ended up with possibly the worst era in Justice League history with the main Justice League book, which I think was just called Justice League America at the time. Okay. Not even of America. Justice League Task Force, which was de- originally designed to be... I hate that name. Yes. Uh, JLTF. It's somehow worse to say it in the abbreviation, <laughs> which was the UN sponsors... Justice League the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, the UN sponsors, because during JLI, they'd been a UN-sponsored team. UN sponsors the Martian Manhunter to put together basically temporary squads to deal with specific problems. Okay. So for one storyline, like Nightwing and The Flash and whoever is in it, and then maybe the next time we have... Peacemaker and uh, Peter Kinn and Thunderbolt and the Ray. Mm-hmm. This concept almost immediately fell apart. It lasted maybe 12 issues because it turns out it's incredibly hard to make an engaging ongoing book where you only have one continuing character throughout the whole thing. Right. Also, anytime you attempt to make it's a, a team book where the team is constantly changing, like even faster than X-Men books. Yes. It's just, it's, this kind of book happens every couple years and it's a celebration of the wider DC universe, but it's a limited returns concept. 
And then the dumbest named, uh, this is worse than Justice League Task Force, Extreme Justice, which took the surviving JLI characters and the Wonder Twins for some reason and made like an edgy X-Force kind of book. But with Captain Adam, Guy Gardner, Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, and the Wonder Twins. I hate everything you just said. I know, right? Like, so did everyone else. It did not. I don't think it lasted a year. Good. Uh, the books were falling apart right before this series started. Right before JLA started. The team was composed of, I want to say Crimson Fox, who is a character that I can barely tell you anything about other than she's French. And she might have been the team leader. Fire. Ice Maiden, who is the knockoff Ice from Justice League International. Okay. Nuclon, who is the really terrible costume version of Atom Smasher before he became Atom Smasher. And uh, Obsidian, who is Green Lantern's... I, hate, I almost hate to describe him as Green Lantern's gay son is how he's most famous, mm -hmm. but he has the power of the dark force. Yeah. He has shadow powers. Obsidian is pretty dumb. Obsidian is really cool, but like, and then metamorpho. So we have a member of the outsiders, two former infinity Inc members, two former JLI. No, not even a former one, former JLI member and two global guardian knockoffs. No one cares. Okay. The team was not, it was at maybe its worst point in history. And not that there wasn't good stories in this, but it just, it's the Justice League. Like, it's supposed to be the team. Mm -hmm. And the Titans, who were not going through a great period either, were significantly more impressive than the Justice League at this moment. Now, this book launches in 1996, which is a very interesting point in comic history. When we talk about the 90s in comics, you think of, like... Pouches and big guns and, mm -hmm. you know, X-Force, Jim Lee, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and just life filled over all over the place. Yes. And that's a very accurate description of a large part of the 90s. But what that is mostly is the first half of the 90s. A large part for the big two of the second half of the 90s is what I call Silver Age romanticism. Or the, uh, a lot of kind of new Silver Age kind of stuff. It was... We got lost during the, the comic book speculation boom. Let's get back to, like, the big stuff. And it's what got Marvel through going through their bankruptcy. It's what got DC back on their feet as they were getting weird. And, like, there's still a lot of the big pouches characters. And you have books like Hitman coming out, which is just about a guy who... I died when Hitman showed up. It's about a guy with, like, telepathy and guns, if I remember. Sounds right. Um, Doesn't he also die in his last issue? Probably. I think he... And they've never brought him back? No, think. he was a very... He's one of those characters... Uh, DC was pretty good about this in the 90s, of characters who got connected to the creator and they actually respected that. Mm -hmm. As opposed to Watchmen, which they have directly not respected ever since. But they did for a long time. For a long time. But right around this time, and I want to say Grant Morrison, I, I, I swear I read an interview, this interview, but I couldn't find it anywhere where Grant Morrison's like, I pitched this on the perfect day. And on a different day, they would have said no. But 
I can't confirm that. So someone decided we're going to relaunch JLA Justice League as JLA. It is going to be our big flagship book. All of the big seven, or in this case, a couple of the replacements because Barry's dead. So we have Wally West, Hal Jordan. I don't remember if he's still evil at this point or if he's dead and is becoming the specter, but like Hal Jordan's gone. Kyle Rayner is there. We will do the big seven together again as a team for the first time since the mid eighties at the latest, probably somewhere in the seventies. And this will be our big, everything about this is big. Everything about this is uh, like, these are, Grant Morrison does it a whole lot of kind of exploration as gods. They're almost like the gods on Olympus, but with a lot less Zeus fucking around. Mm-hmm. And we end up with Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, the Wally West Flash, the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter, and 90s Pirate Aquaman, <laughs> yeah. who is still Arthur, but like he basically is a different character than mm-hmm. he was before. Well, okay. We mentioned who the... Uh like the replacements are, but we should also mention that a lot of this is also blue Superman period. That will be over by next episode. But yes, it is a critique I've read of this book and I actually disagree with the critique, but it does lead to some confusing moments. There were a lot of wild changes happening in DC during this time. And the justice league books rolled with those changes. It does make it confusing. If you sometimes, if you don't know, Why is Superman blue with electrical powers all of a sudden? Because for bizarre reasons that I don't fully understand because I've never read Superman blue, Mm -hmm. they're re-releasing it and I might pick it up even though I know it's not super great. But like Superman was given electrical powers and an energy form for a while in his ear. That gets translated into this book. Wonder Woman dies and then for an issue or two, her mother will be Wonder Woman in the next episode that we do grant morrison just rolls with that like anything too wild that happens they just have to continue with it in this book it does make it occasionally confusing because i'm like why is that happening but it also made me look up these other characters and check out these other runs in ways that i never would have known to do otherwise yeah superman goes blue between issues Uh uh-huh and it just happens yeah and you're like oh hello bluey Literally in one, they're like, the Flash is dead. And then like two issues later, he's just back because they don't have time to deal with this. I can understand for someone who just wants to read a single cohesive run, how that might be annoying. For me, it's just fun. It's comics. Yeah. Well, and it's what you're going to do when you have a shared universe. Yeah. This book is interesting because you can directly look at how major motion action movies are made today and trace them back to this book in a lot of directions. The Justice League cartoon exists because this book proved like, here's how you do it. Here's the big seven. They put in Hawkgirl, so it was the big eight, but still. Um, Here's, you know, the way that the Avengers deal with stuff in a lot of comic books today of like, we deal with the cosmic tier level stuff. We don't really have to deal with the, like that guy's robbing a bank. Mostly stems from this book. I was going to say like, they don't, they don't ever really say the words, but in a lot of ways, this is the comic that defines like what is like an event that you need to call the league. for. Mm-hmm. 
they talk about this from this point onwards, kind of, it becomes the league is, the league has always kind of been the A-team, but, like, other superheroes will talk about, like, oh, no, listen to him, he's a leaguer. Or, like, he's, you know, this person's Justice League material. Or you're not Justice League material is, like, a huge insult from this point on in the super-powered sets. It hasn't, it starts in Rock of Ages, hasn't quite taken off. We also get Grant Morrison getting to do some of his weird yeah. coming in. We get little bits of them as mythology and gods. I will argue a little bit will start to come up of superheroes as fairy tales, although they're right. Mythological gods is much more how these early issues run. I also read, and you didn't get a chance to read it because you were reading on the app, I guess, and I right. guess I didn't have it. The preview series that started this, Justice League, A Midsummer's Nightmare, which I was really looking forward to you reading because Dr. Destiny is one of the main villains. Now, that was not written by Morrison. No. But the basic idea is this villain named No Man, K-N-O-W Man. It's, It's not a good name, but it is. I'm sure that Grant Morrison came up with it, even if he wasn't writing the book. Right. Um... Who yeah, is Mark Wade, huh? Mark Wade and Fabian Nicieza. However you say it. Uh, the, one of the creators of Deadpool. Along with a variety of artists, including Derek Robertson, who is probably best known for launching The Boys, as well as Transmetropolitan. He's one of the greats of his era. In this book, No Man has manipulated Dr. Destiny into a thing where everyone in the world is getting superpowers except for the traditional superheroes, and the traditional superheroes have all lost their memories and don't know that they're superheroes. Okay. But they know something is wrong, especially the Big Seven, who start to break out of the, like, this world is not right. We, we know something is wrong. We figure it out. We stop Dr. Destiny. No man who is revealed to be a, a caveman powered up by a spaceship or a meteor and set up to, to prepare for this big coming threat and implied to be the same meteor or spaceship that powered up Vandal Savage, but Savage was a monster slash serial killer and no man is actually like working for a cause. Mm-hmm. He'll also never show up again. But they will have some mention of like, no man warned us that something is coming. Uh, But it does end with the new league reforming, which is awesome. It's a great moment. But it does sort of have this bit of like, rude. There was another league right there. I mean, I realize they kind of suck, but like, you at least owe Rex Mason Metamorpho a phone call. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm bummed I didn't get to read it. I can lend it to you. It's fun. Yeah. It is not as good as this stuff. The art's more reliable, but like it's it's an enjoyable read. But that's where we kind of really start to set up with um I believe the first arc is just called Brave New World. Uh New World Order. New World Order, thank you. That is the new league is formed. We're starting. And then Hyperclan shows up. And Hyperclan shows up. Now, Hyperclan beyond just being kind of like, here's a fun, here's a different superhero stuff with definite hints towards like what will happen with Thunderbolts in Marvel right around the same time. Grant Morrison said that they based them off of like characters for what would be a toy line in the mid nineties. What I believe Morrison's not saying is they're very clearly based off of like how image comic teams were being formed. 
Yeah. Or like Malibu. These are the most 90s knockoffs. Goofy setups. I mean, there's characters like. Dude, Amortal's design is dope, though. Yeah, no, there, some of the most of the designs of the are pretty designs good, are but it's very much a like this is a '90s over the top team. Amortal, uh, Tronics is the name of one of them. Um, yeah, let me see. I have Amortal, Armac, Fluxus, Primade, Protex, Tronics, Zenturian, and Zoom. Spelled Z U U M. Z U with an umlaut. <laughs> okay, that's right. It is like very much a. Uh, I mean, it does. It it looks like a dope toy line. I would have bought at least most of them. Right. As a kid, like for real. <laughs> this storyline surprised me because I noticed that what was going on and then completely forgot about it, like within a couple pages. What do you mean? Well, because you have the the moment with, uh, oh God, is it Protex? The, the Adam Warlock looking? Yeah, I think so. Adam Warlock meets Jim Morrison of the Doors. Yeah. And when he's saying something about when they're like resurrecting their base, they say he says the base name and it's, I was like, oh, that's Martian. Zonzor or Zonzor. something? Yeah. Which I think ties into something from, um... Uh, uh, John Carter. Mm. I think Zonzor predates this, but I, I, I'm not a hundred percent on that. That's one of those things I remember reading, but can't prove it's true. All I know is like, I was like, Oh, so they're Martians. And then like within a couple pages of things happening, I that completely, completely forgot they were Martians. Yeah. So big spoiler here. The other super team are white Martians. I freaking love that not only is this a like challenge of silver age, big name characters versus the new flashy stuff, but he directly ties the Martians into some very John Carter warlord of Mars, like old school, old school stuff. Because in warlord of Mars, there were three kinds of Martians, four kinds of Martians. There might've been black Martians. I don't remember, but the green Martians, the white Martians and the red Martians. These are the white Martians, but it also, he directly ties it into basically the justice league is fighting white supremacists in this book. Mm -hmm. I mean, super directly. They are Martians that believe that they are the best kind of Martians because they're white. It also shows how important Martian Manhunter is and how cool Martian Manhunter is. And how terrifying Martians are. Yeah, really. As a concept within DC. Especially the white Martians that have the big angry mouth in their stomach thing. Like, the white Martian design is hardcore. White Martian design's hardcore, and Martians are OP. (laughs) Thank God they're resistant to fire because they have... Shape-changing telepathy, super strength, intangibility, or increased density... Uh, some kind of, they call it Martian vision, but it's Superman's heat vision, super strength, super endurance. Well, I mean, I think they sum it up pretty early on where I think it's flash points out. It's like, so every one of these guys is Superman level. Yes. Gotcha. Except again, they're weak to fire as opposed to rocks kryptonite. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Very specific rocks. Very, very specific. Hard to find rocks. <laughs> right? Um, 
hard to find until you need some, and then you can get them on any corner. We will dive into this, but I do appreciate that they gave pretty much every character at least one super cool moment, which is hard to do when you have seven characters and five issues to get all of this through. Well, I was that was the thing that I was going to point out was uh, we've talked about before uh, when discussing different team books, everybody tends to feel a little bit nerfed mm-hmm. just so that they can all hang out as a team. Morrison no lets does. them all play at their top of their game. Uh, flash fighting Zoom and realizing like, oh, this person's military trained to do super speed, but I'm so much faster than him and travels at basically the speed of light and punches him so hard that he the uh, Zoom starts moving at escape velocity. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Green Lantern has the weakest point, and he still gets several cool moments in it. I don't think I realized how much I like Kyle Green Lantern. This book is why I like Kyle best. Like, I love, I love the use of some of his imagination powers, basically. Because that's all the Green Lantern is, is imagination powers. But. Well, and one of his first bits here is, I mean, because Kyle is always like, I have the most powerful ring of the universe, but I've also got a bunch of 90s self-doubt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have that Gen X self-loathing to go with this. But also, I kind of look like Shadow Man. It's weird. Yeah, actually. that's true. That's very true now that you say it, and I can't unsee it. Thanks for that. But uh, he's like, uh, go put a giant... Menmorpho's like, go get a green bubble or something like mm-hmm. that. And he's like, that was the old guy. Here's what I do. And anytime Kyle shows up, it's giant mechs that he's making or starfighters or... Or I even just loved, <laughs> oh God, I can't remember what he was trapped in. But he was trapped in something and to get out... He just makes a door and like walks out? Like, and there's a, not just <laughs> does he make a door and walks out. He makes a door that is being opened for him by a hot theater usher in a bikini. Yep, that was very Kyle in the 90s, beautiful women. There was a Green Arrow, Green Lantern crossover with Connor, who we'll talk Mm -hmm. about later, who was like, why do you always have buxom green women? He's like, because I'm an artist and I like drawing women. And you know what? As someone who draws a lot of pinups, I get it. That's one of the most relatable things I've ever read in a comic book. Uh, I've always maintained I would be just the most boring to watch Green Lantern because <laughs> it would just be like swipes of color. So you'd be how? Um, <laughs> yeah, there would be no like fists or giant guns or whatnot. It would just be a swipe of color doing what I wanted to do. But I mean, Morrison uses my favorite all-time description of Kyle. He's a manga nut with a power ring. Like, that's so scary to think about. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. You know, everybody gets... I feel at some point play at the top of their game. Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman is at one point battling a white Martian up in space. Yeah. And they're like, oh, God, how long can you hold your breath? And she goes, I don't know, longer than she could, obviously. Why would I know that? Like, And then Batman. This is one of my favorite Batman moments, but it is also kind of the beginning of what has sort of broken Batman as a character over the years. Batman's always been like kind of overpowered because he's the guy without superpowers that can stand with the rest of the league. But where Batman takes on four Martians on his own sort of starts the like Batman can beat anyone because Batman realizes they're Martians. 
You know, I didn't, I didn't put together that that is exactly what happens, but that's what happens. He yeah, and like it had happened before then, but this is really where it takes off that Batman's on another level. But Batman takes on a mortal goes down to find Batman because the rest of the league's been captured. Superman in this describes him as the most dangerous man in the world. And then we don't even see him beat up a mortal. We just see a mortal hanging from the rafters unconscious with the sign, a note written on it saying, I know what you are before the, the Martians have been revealed. And um, the other Martians are like, Oh, Oh no. (laughs) And he manipulates them. So they end up in like one area of the room and they're all like, Oh, we're, you know, doing the big, like we're going to kill you now. And he lights a match and tosses it on the ground and he's made a gasoline circle around them. So it like lights up and Martians are weak to fire. So they're really not having a good time. And then the next thing you see is him cracking his knuckles going ready when you are. And you're like, Oh, that's so cool. Like this is, this is the Batman that you want to have here's here's the other thing i think morrison gets 100 percent right about how batman works with a team mm-hmm. badly <laughs> badly but it's partially not because he's a brooding emo wussy loner sad boy <laughs> it's because he has just like very firm priorities in place on where like where my attention goes, where my attention goes at what times, at what level something has to get to for it to break through the level of like, I'm going to give my attention to it. Well, and he's so wildly trained that anyone who's untrained literally just makes him uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know how to deal with a manga nut with a power ring. He works with them and they actually end up having a lot of mutual respect, but there's still that like frustration of him. I do want to say of the New World Order, my favorite moment of this book is one of my all-time favorite Justice League moments. Martian Manhunter, it had been a, a scapegoat that, like, not scapegoat, a red herring that he had betrayed the team. And obviously right. he just went undercover. I mean, it's Martian Manhunter. No one really believed it was going to happen. But it's still a really cool moment when Martian Manhunter turns, frees the League, and suddenly here's this big attack point. And Manhunter is about to be beaten to death by one of the White Martians. Manhunter is incredibly powerful and capable, but the White Martians are basically the Spartans. And he's basically Nathenian, to use old school, Mm -hmm. like really old school terminology. But, you know, he's a scholar. I love the description that Patton Oswalt used in a uh, Justice League book he wrote of he's if Socrates played for the Steelers. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he has this moment of like the, the white Martian has this moment of like, you've been abandoned. Who will stand with or Where are your friends now? And you just hear right here or uh, right behind him where we always are. And then she like turns and there's the league with wonder woman at the front, ready to just like you fucked with our Martian. You don't get to do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's our perfect little boy. <laughs> uh, he dies years later and Green Arrow and Green Lantern are mourning him and they describe him as he was my favorite Martian, which is just a stupid <laughs> reference, but also it's great. Man, at the funeral, they like put Oreos on his grave because he's obsessed with Oreos. I mean, and, mm, I love Martian Manhunter. I will say this book doesn't super land one point, which there's this kind of ongoing debate in this book of how much can superheroes get involved in the wider world? 
How much can they fix the world's problems? And there's a real debate about that. It's an ongoing thing with Superman. The more that we look at it, the more we look at Superman more seriously. Right, because as part of the White Martians taking power, they basically faked a bunch of miracles. Mm Mm-hmm. And I did read one review of, like, the Justice League should have maintained the... They built, like, a Garden of Eden in the Sahara. And it didn't last. And they're like, they should have maintained that. The League's got the power to do that. But no, they don't. No. It's the Sahara. Superman pointed that out. Yeah, there's a lot of factors going into play as to how this came to be. And it, it, it's a big ongoing debate of comics, especially in the 90s forward. How much should superheroes involve themselves in the wider world? Or do they just save us from the big threats? Do they provide opportunities? Because there's... I feel like there's other series where I've pointed this out before. Like, every five years they have to have a storyline across a few different characters where it's like, okay, this is why we don't just change the world. Mm -hmm. And it's because at some point it does become kind of fascist dictatorship, Mm -hmm. which we've seen a lot of times in comics. To the point that I find the storyline boring... Well, it's that and just having to address the crime. It's either it becomes fascist dictatorship or they at some point just have to address the ongoing criticisms of people that just don't understand how interconnected a bunch of different things can be. Well, and at some point you just break the world if you change it too much from what we can understand. It's almost mm-hmm. it's like a suspension of disbelief thing, but not quite. Like, superheroes have to exist in this very strange thing of it's not our world but it's close enough that we understand it. Yeah. Wildstorm years later got put into a uh, post-apocalyptic world and it killed Wildstorm as an imprint. It was interesting for a while, but like there was just the point of where do we go right. next? And there was only so far they could. I think that's all I have for New World Order. Then it goes into American Dreams. Now... Here's a fun thing that we start seeing in American Dreams of the ways that Grant Morrison is tapping into old school Justice League comics and kind of recreating them using old school villains like The Key, who is not a great villain, but he does a pretty good job of making him like actually interesting. Or the first member, I guess not the first member, but the f- one of the first people to join the Justice League after the Big Seven is Green Arrow. Green Arrow was the eighth person to ever join the Justice League, like Mm -hmm. immediately after. Um, I mean, that's later on, but it does. We start seeing some of that echoes of old school Justice League while still doing new and interesting things. Also, I forgot how this was a character I had read a little bit more of in the past uh, across different times, but I forgot how much I actually like Connor most of the time. Yes, I actually really enjoy Connor. Man, you read... Connor in Robin as well. So yeah. you've got a lot of Connor a lot this of week. Connor this weekend. <laughs> uh, but we will get there because that's jumping forward. First, we have Tomorrow Girl. Oh, yeah. Tomorrow Woman? Oh, God. Um, one of those. Anyways, the, the ongoing plot here, it's a one-off issue, which we don't see anymore. You're, these days, this would be a five-issue arc. Uh, comics these days write for the trades which is someone who collects trades. I don't have a problem with that, but I do appreciate a beautifully written one and done. Mm-hmm. But the idea is, and again, using old school justice league villains, there are two super mad scientists who tend to create great robots. Professor tomorrow T- woman. 
Yeah. Professor T.O. Morrow and Professor Ivo. Yo, I was, I was actually kind of stoked to see those two hanging out. Oh, I loved it. It's so good. Uh, T.O. Morrow would create the Red Tornado, who would eventually become a member of the League in good standing because the Vision was really popular in Avengers and they wanted to have an alternative. He was never as popular as the Vision, but he does have some good runs in many versions of Young Justice. Mm-hmm. And Professor Ivo created the Amazo android, who tends to be an android that has the power of various Justice League people. But there's not much depth to Amazo as a... He's a robot with the powers of the Justice League that they have to beat up. But the idea is these two have worked together to create Tomorrow Woman, who is an uh, android who infiltrates the Justice League with the plan of killing the leak. Uh, spoiler alert. She decides not to because she's... I do think it's interesting. She doesn't just develop sentience. She develops her own ethical standing well, yeah. that was not programmed into her because she joined the League and enjoyed it. And she ends up sacrificing her life to stop the extremely bizarre Grant Morrison-style super weapon, yeah. the if creature, and to not kill the League. It's hard to talk about this issue because it's a one and done. But it reminds me of the better done Bizarro storylines. Yeah. It does a story of a character or of an android coming to life, developing a personality and becoming more human and then sacrificing themselves in 32 pages, maybe better than some series do in like, I mean, it's kind of data. I mean, it's not data level because we don't get seven seasons, but like it's so it's maybe a good template that more Hollywood writers should look at for a way to do like I said, this is very reminiscent of Bizarro, mm-hmm. but it's not doing Bizarro, and it's not Dark Superman. It's not the reverse Superman. It's this all-new character that has this thing that still feel, fills this niche and plays out this storyline without having to just have the exact opposite of your main character. You could expand this into a Justice League movie, in my opinion, and have it work perfectly well. Yeah. Have the big villain be, I don't know, not Darkseid, but like Despero or something. But like you could have a big villain still. We have a mole in the Justice League. Yada, yada, yada. You jump back and forth between. Admittedly, my favorite part of these issues was Tio Amaro and Ivo drinking champagne and arguing over which one was the better mad scientist android creator. So good. While watching the Justice League getting about to be murdered by their creation. And if Tomorrow Woman hadn't developed that sentience, that uh, that ethical programming... They would have won. Yeah, they would have done it. I love that T.O. Morrow's like, this is proof that I win. Because Morrow created the brain while uh, Ivo, Ivo created, created the, the body. body. And he's like, this is proof that I win. She became more than we, like, programmed her to be. Suck it, Ivo. <laughs> And then the Justice League knock on their door. I'm not even mad. I'm going to prison. <laughs> like, uh, And then here's where we meet Zariel. Yeah. Have you... We've talked about Zariel before. Have you ever read anything with oh, Zariel before? Oh, shoot. I'm trying to think if I have or not. I don't think so. 
if you have not in any serious yeah, amount. Okay. I believe so. So Zariel was originally supposed to be called Hawkman, but a year or two before this, we talk about this in one of our old Word Balloons episodes. DC banned the use of the name Hawkman? Fair. Because Hawkman had gotten so stupid and convoluted? Uh, to the point that at one point Aquaman sees a man with wings and like thinks he's Hawkman for a moment, but he can't say Hawkman. He says Katar, which is Katar Hole's first oh, name. Oh, God. <laughs> That's amazing. And there's a quote from Morrison of being like, let me call him Hawkman. He's a, it's a perfectly good name. I will say I disagree with Morrison on this point. Not that Hawkman's a perfectly good name. He's right. Zariel would be a shitty Hawkman. Zariel would be a shitty Hawkman. But I like Zariel as a character. I think his design is great. Mm-hmm. He'll come up more. Spoiler alert. He'll come up more in the series. And I really enjoy him. Um, I think he's one of DC's great missed opportunities of there's more to him, but to, to get into this, cause we haven't really explained Zariel too much. This next arc opens with an angel falling to earth from heaven, which I just think is a lot of fun. And it turns out this angel Zariel is an angel who has left heaven because he has fallen in love with a woman from earth. Yes. I believe that Zariel will go on to have a side series that's called like JLA Heaven's Ladder, like a small event or miniseries or I something. I was curious about that Not because Ladder. the um, ending of this storyline sets up for him going off and having adventures. It does lead into something else. I have never read those issues. They've never been collected in a trade. Oh, okay. Um, I have a friend who has them and who has read them. I will try and track those down. Uh, we originally said these were, I forgot to mention this to you before we recorded. We originally said we were going to do this in three episodes. I actually want to do it in four because there are a couple of other times Grant Morrison wrote JLA. Yes. Yeah. Uh, cause like cool. in the setup we had for this, we didn't have earth Two covered and that's mm. a great mini series he did, or he did a later JLA Dang. classified, uh, the JLA wildcats crossover. He did. I'll see if I can find it for that. If it's worth adding in, but Wildcats, you know I'm down for some wildcats. Exactly. It's it's the worst thing we're going to read out of all of this, but it's fun. It is a good little weird crossover, mm-hmm. but that's for later. Zariel falls from heaven to the earth and is found by the Martian Manhunter, who, because he's the Martian Manhunter, immediately is like, how can I help you? What's going on? What's the problem, bud? Hey, yeah. <laughs> hey, buddy. Martian Manhunter is pretty much Canadian. I was going to say, I mean, yes, because we were both going kind of the same direction. He's the comic book equivalent of the quote from Letterkenny. If a friend asks for help, you help him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Martian Manhunter is uh, the Canadian on the Justice League. (laughs) Including the occasional passive aggressive stuff when he wants people to do things stronger. We do have a nice moment at the very beginning of this before we go on with what Zariel is going on of Wally and Superman talking. And I actually really enjoy while we don't get it very often, but when Wally and Superman get to interact with one another, mm-hmm. because in a lot of ways they are very similar. And in, in some ways they are the two most experienced bedrocks of the DC universe at least on people you can like rely on or relate to Batman is Batman. 
he's a jerk ass at the best of days. Like he's great, but he's not someone that you like open up too much. Wonder Woman's amazing, but she's a goddess in some forms. She's, you know, she's the perfect woman made of clay given human form. Mm-hmm. She uses the literal extension of truth as like one of her main weapon sets. You can't sit down with Wonder Woman and talk about your concerns in the same way. <laughs> but I think it's here. Wally and Superman have a moment where Superman is worrying about not being able to live up to the expectation that people put on him. Right. And Wally being like, well, you're just a guy, Superman. Like, even you forget sometimes that you're just a guy. Chill out, man. We'll be okay. And then immediately he's not okay and Wally gets stuck in a teleporter. But, um... Yeah. Almost forgot about that, and then I just looked at that very panel. <laughs> <laughs> I just... It, it is a very brief moment, but it is one thing that I think that Morrison does very well in this run of quiet human moments between characters in between the giant earth shaking angels are falling from heaven kind of stuff. Uh, the demon Neron is interfering in ways that I don't fully understand here, but I think it leads into, I will argue as much as I like Zariel, this is the weakest of the three stories we're reading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is the one I remember the least, to be honest. Um, I mean, I know what goes on, but it, comparatively it's like good it's fun it yeah it's the worst of the three the designs um, for everybody's dope turns out that zariel before he chose to leave and it's confusing to me that he finds this information out and then decides to leave heaven because he's fallen in love with a girl because he finds out that it's asmodel right yeah the asmodel one of the major like, I want to say archangels, a major angel of heaven. They have various terms for an- or for what heaven is like that is very Grant Morrison. He's of the seventh host. I don't know if that's a real Bible thing or if Morrison's just riffing and sounding cool still. There are different hosts of angels. You'd have to get into some of the different Gnostic texts to figure out which angel's supposed to be where, but... And the Gnostic texts are... The Gnostic texts are complicated enough that Bible scholars get confused with them, and we're two idiots with a general nerdery podcast. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, they're really cool, though. Uh, but Asmodel has decided he's going to do what Lucifer can't and do a second rebellion in heaven. And he comes down to Earth to stop Zariel. Right. Who has discovered the secret, even though Zariel is in no way trying to do anything, really. He just wants to hook up with the cute girl. Um, and it ends with Superman in a wrestling match, basically, with an angel. Yeah. <laughs> and Wonder Woman exploding an angel spaceship. Yeah. That's, what, that's about right. I will say, best moment of this series Martian Manhunter has been fighting this dude to a standstill. He's got like a flaming sword. So he's Martian Manhunter does not stand a chance against this, but he's just barely standing. And like, you just see Superman's admittedly electric blue hand on, uh, on John's shoulder. Being I like, got this one, buddy. Stand down, buddy. It's my turn. And then the next page is him just wrestling a giant angel man. Yeah, it's pretty dope. Even if the 
picture of the angel man wrestling is not that great. Like, I don't know. The pose is a little weird. There's some bits where like, like giant Asmodel laying waste to the city. And when he's all giant, you can see that all like the scales on his armor are eyes. So good. The artist whose name I've already forgotten again. Howard Porter. Howard Porter. I don't know why I can't do this. I really like Howard Porter. Already has great design sense. There's just occasionally moments where he's trying to draw a thing that he doesn't yet have the technical skill to draw. And it tends to be interactions between characters where the problem arises. Also just some faces in some panels. So that's kind of across every artist. And there's some weird angle stuff that he has issues with. But I mean, it's enough that it gets the image across. I've seen significantly worse art from the era. Yeah. I'll agree. And Porter is still working today and it's still very clearly like his style just, you know, 30 years later. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. (laughs) 25 years later. Oh, one thing we skipped over on this one was uh, the justice league. Who's I guess been accused of elitism, which hard to argue. They're the big seven. They're doing their whole thing. They do a recruitment drive. Oh yeah. (laughs) And it's just, Four pages of funny for the most part, which Justice League International was funny. And then the book stopped being funny. And Morrison randomly starts bringing in like jokes. But for a purpose here, we find out that Hitman showed up and he's a killer for hire. But he just really wanted to see. Oh, he's got x-ray vision and he wanted to see Wonder Woman naked. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Zariel's also kind of not perving under Wonder Woman, but very much like hey. you are really impressive and I will follow you anywhere. There's a little bit of a step on me, queen. Yeah. Vibe going bit. between those two in this issue. Uh, the flash gets Max Mercury to show up. Who's a golden age speedster. And he literally just wants to be able to say that he's been on the moon. He's like, I am impulses guardian. I do not have time to be in the Justice League, and I'm a super speedster. (laughs) You're because the Flash asked me. (laughs) Um, Damage, who's a former Titan, whose powers he makes explosions. It's like, I'm Damage. Sorry that I blew up, like, half of your moon base. Um, Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. They now live on the Watchtower on the moon. Or not live there, but, like... Moon base. The moon base, and uh, the League will have a lot of bases known as Watchtower from this point on. They do it in Justice League. I think in the Young Justice, it's the Watchtower. It Mm -hmm. just kind of becomes their their thing. Uh, But during this time, we briefly meet Connor Hawk, the new Green Arrow, the son of the original, and Aztec, who will come up a little bit later. Not an Aztec fan? I'm so Aztec's a character I'm more happy exists than not. Let's get through Connor Hawk's yeah. issue with the key here because I do want to talk about Aztec, but I agree with what you're saying. <laughs> He'll have some cool stuff coming up. So Connor transports up to the league uh, watchtower where he's supposed to get his final test to see if he can be a member. Also, as a quick side note, the guy, f- uh, um, did you notice who they had doing the teleporter? Oh, shoot. The fly. <laughs> I, the, I, I'm i blanking the act. Uh, Jeff Goldblum. I don't know if I noticed that. That was Jeff. I mean, it, it is partly because it's the art's not there yet. But yeah, that's Jeff Goldblum oh, teleporting him up. Oh, my God, it is. I, 
I've been reading this book since I was 15. I noticed that yesterday. I just brought up that issue. Holy cow. (laughs) Whoa. And he's like, teleporting's a snap, kid. Don't worry about it. Yeah, first time in a teleport booth. Wow. That's dope. Turns out the key is putting everyone in a coma. And the key's plot here is bizarre at best. The key has put everyone into hallucinatory comas and he is somehow using his powers that as to, uh, to kind of manipulate their mental energy. And as they break out of this, they are helping him break a, a wall in reality, like open a door to. Yeah. So it's, he's banking on the it's fact that the plot. justice league always wins. <laughs> So he built basically a version of better than life for each of them. But (laughs) he, but with the idea that he knows that they're going to figure out a way to break out of it. And so their breaking up out of it is the energy that he's collecting because of the change in brain state and like whatever energy pulse it brings off. This is a man that, uh, made himself a bigger super genius by injecting himself with various chemicals. Yes. He Morbius did with less vampiring. And I'm still, I'm still not entirely sure. So let me see. So do I have this right at the end? Basically he gets defeated because even though he took into account the fact that they were all going to wake up, he didn't account for the fact that Green Arrow was going to knock him out before it could happen. Well, not just that, but the Flash plays a big part in the end. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds like, it seemed to me like he didn't account for the fact that the Flash, once he's awake, can just super speed and get things done. A little bit, yeah. Um, Here's the thing. As much as we talk up Morrison, because we both love him, them, damn it, Every once in a while, Morrison meta plots or like big bad storylines are stupid because they have a larger goal, in this case, kind of a character study of Connor that is much more important than whatever weird kind of wooey woo Alistair Crowley would be very proud of you bullshit that they're having the supervillain do. Right. Like the, the supervillain part is a neat idea. Like banking on the fact that the justice league is going to get out of that is Mm -hmm. actually pretty good. It's, but the way it's all executed is meh, but the Connor part is amazing. And really what this is, and the basic idea is Connor is green arrow is the only leaguer awake on the watchtower. Cause he's not part of the plan. Cause he's not officially a member of the league. Yeah, he was in the process of showing up to be inducted. So he has to take on the key, a Justice League level villain, alone. And he doesn't even have his arrows. Now, a big thing about Connor was there were another attempt to cool Green Arrow as a character. He doesn't use trick arrows. He just uses arrows. He's kind of a martial artist first and an archer second. Right. Which is... Fine, great, whatever. But all he has is Ollie's trick arrows. And I love it's the, uh, these were either invented by a genius or a madman. You have to be a madman to use them. You have to be a genius to use them. Mm -hmm. Because all of Ollie's arrows are just 
they're kind of dumb, <laughs> but they make them not dumb. Like, and he's, he's trying to do his thing. He's trying to do his Zen Archer mastery stuff, but he's got trick arrows that he doesn't fully know what they are. And he's launching fucking bomb arrows at people on accident. Yeah. Or they all have different weights and they, he doesn't know exactly what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. He's never used this before. And so, you know, this is a guy that has largely, I mean, Connor has dealt with the League of Assassins. He's dealt with a lot of weird, the, 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 the ground level DC stuff at the time was a lot of martial artists and assassins and guns and kind of John Wick meets Mortal Kombat right. stuff. It's real cool. Don't get me wrong. But, um... He's well, not Connor's good at that. Yes, he's great at that. He's the best at it. He doesn't know how to deal with the wild stuff that Ollie came up with. Boxing glove era. And honestly, this entire issue could be written as a defense of the boxing glove era. Of the stuff that people were using to make fun of Green Arrow as a character. Oh, he's dumb. The boxing glove era. Stupid. Saves reality. Mm-hmm. It is a direct argument for the importance of the Silver Age goofiness that modern comics were abandoning. It is kind of my worldview of comics in a single issue. Both are awesome. Just following Connor's journey in this, too, also reminds me of, like, the better episodes of, like, Young Justice. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can do this, and suddenly I'm the only one that can. Mm Mm-hmm. And it turns out I'm great at it. Uh, This brings us to Rock of Ages, which is a interesting, convoluted five issues. Where it starts is not where it ends. Uh Uh-huh. And I wasn't expecting... this is what's been on my re- to read list for a long time. Yes. is Rock of Ages. And like, I was, have I been interested in the entire run? Yes, but I'm most interested. Well, in... when you first mentioned this to me, you said let's read Rock of Ages, and I was like, no. I mean, yes, <laughs> but not just it. Like, you yeah. need to read the other stuff to really get here. One, first of all, this is the point where the Justice League have become the professionals that we've been aiming them to be. The league is playing on all. Cylinder, not playing in all cylinders. I am mixing my things, but like they are firing on all cylinders at this point. And anything like <laughs> I can't remember if it's in Rock of Ages or earlier, but like yeah, they're they're noticing what their weaknesses are. They're directly addressing it and mm-hmm. like what their plans are going forward. Like they do it a little bit in the previous one where they realize they've now been beaten twice by mental stuff, and they're like, all right, we got to set up some defenses here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not, but they've also mentioned other things here and there. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we're going to make sure to deal with that in the future. Oh, we're good. Like, let's make plans for this. Let's, mm-hmm. let's move forward. And we really see partially because Wonder Woman mm-hmm. is dead during parts of this. She's Which, not. That was re- wild. Yes. Uh, the John Byrne run of Wonder Woman is something I haven't read much because I'm not a big John Byrne fan. So I don't really know what's happening there, but I'm pretty sure Wonder Woman joined Mount Olympus. Oh, okay. During this period. Next issue, she'll be... Uh, Honestly, makes a lot of sense for how Morrison was writing her in this time period. Oh, yeah. On, in JLA, so... For an issue or two, we will have 
her mother as Wonder Woman, Hippolyta as Wonder mm. Woman, and then she'll just randomly be back. But that's for next. I mean, I know we're going to read it, but how is Hippolyta as Wonder Woman? She doesn't have enough time in Justice League. Oh, to get to a good have, feel. She's kind of Wonder Woman, but not quite. Okay. She's fine. I wanted more of her, but I really just wanted more of her to have time to kind of understand. But in this one, it starts with the Injustice Gang has been formed. They went with gang because it was the 90s and they were trying to change it up a little bit. But basically, Lex Luthor has formed an anti-Justice League. Mm -hmm. I love that he is so convinced how brilliant his plan is and it literally takes the League one encounter (laughs) and it's not even directly with them to be like, so someone formed an Injustice League, right? Like, this is what's happening here? We all caught that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Their initial attack is they have made hard light holograms that they can control of, like, evil Justice League members. So, like, a a dark Superman, a dark Batman, a dark... I'm so happy when I saw hard light. Like, I know that it's a science fiction trope in general, but I always immediately think of Red Dwarf. I'm pretty sure Morrison has watched some Red Dwarf because there's a few points where, like, I can't prove that they're referencing Red Dwarf, but they... I don't know. There, it feels like it to me. <laughs> I'll tell you what. At least visually, Avenue 5 references Red Dwarf a lot. Like, right. a lot of the exterior shots of the ship don't remind me of other sci-fi. It reminds me directly of Red Dwarf outside shots. I love it. Love it. Um, I do love in this one that they're, like, supposed to be this really dangerous anti-league kind of thing. The hard light holograms to counter them. And Green Lantern is like, you are not good at this man like i am you really suck at using my powers let me show you how to use my powers. i have the most powerful weapon in existence you have a fake proxy of it i'm just going to walk out of your bubble attack Mm -hmm. i think morrison writes a really interesting luther because Luther originally was just a, a mad scientist supervillain to the point that he created a planet that he ruled named Lexor. I'm not a big fan of Silver Age Superman, uh, super, or Lex Luthor, at least. A lot of people are. In the 80s, John Byrne recreated Lex Luthor to be Donald Trump, but smart. Mm-hmm. You know, because in the 80s, we thought Donald Trump was smart. Mm-hmm. Art of the Deal has a lot to answer for More than we can get into. But Morrison, I think, is one of the best at finding the balance between the, like, insane, egotistical businessman and the mad scientist. He'll do it wonderfully in uh, All-Star Superman, although he leans more towards the mad scientist in this one. Here, he's leaning more towards the the businessman side. Mm -hmm. But it's such a fascinating look at Lex Luthor's ego that he regards Superman leading the big seven justice league in what is his words, a direct escalation of the competition between us or something. Yeah. Something like that. He is convinced that Superman created the league, this league to, to be his counter clearly never even crossed Superman's mind. Superman's busy being like, Oh, the white Martians are attacking. Oh, Got to deal with this now. Oh, Lex Luthor. He's attacking again. Guess we'll take care of that. 
Oh, God. A dark Aztec must have shown up, right? No. No, okay. Because uh, this was based off the original Big Seven. Oh, so part of right. the things going on is he didn't necessarily have plans for all of them. And he had a kind of a different approach with Aztec. This might be a good place to quickly jump in and explain Aztec. Aztec originally appeared in a short series that I no longer own because it was not very good called Aztec the Ultimate Man that was written by Grant Morrison and Mark Miller. Because at the time, those two were besties. Mm -hmm. They will go in very different directions. They now hate each other, and I'm very much Team Morrison. Do they now hate each other? I don't know if I followed this. Okay, so uh, when Mark Miller was writing The Authority and had an illness or something, and Morrison Ghost wrote an issue for him. Okay. And there ended up being a big argument over credit. Morrison was expecting either credit or payment or something. And Miller fucked them over. Okay. Not enough that it was a huge deal. Like it, it, it more, I don't think Morrison was ever at like financial huge risk or whatever. Right. But it was a like, I did this to you as a favor and you. It's kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Like pretend I didn't exist, but there's a quote where someone was interviewing Mark or uh, Morrison being like, you're going back to Scotland. Are you uh, gonna, gonna run into Mark Miller? And they go, oh, I very much hope so. I hope I'm going 80 miles an hour at the time. <laughs> like, straight up, wants to run Miller over with a car. I don't know if it's been, a per like, whatever yeah. happened, there's some sort of permanent rift in their relationship. I don't know if it's that bad still, but... Okay. Eh. And part of it was, Miller exists as a writer on the level that he does now, with all of the movie deals and the stuff he's making because Morrison helped get him there. Is he, do you know if he's still technically getting, getting his Miller verse for Netflix? I think so, but I don't know, nor do I overly care. Yeah. I also don't overly care, but such. Wow. Mark Miller's best stuff is either the stuff that he co-wrote with Morrison, like skull scroll kill crew or um, stuff where people took his idea and made a movie where he didn't write it. Yeah. Uh, the Kingsman. Yeah. Fair. But anyways, yeah. Aztec was Aztec. Uh, created by the Q Foundation yes. to battle an oncoming villain. Yes. And there's a whole lot of Mesoamerican set Mythology referenced. Yes. It's referenced more in the series. They don't have a whole lot of time with him here, although he will, as I said, again, show up. Um, he's definitely a white man in a lot of his appearances, which is a tad problematic for a character named Aztec. But I just first off, I hate his costume. I don't. But fair enough. Is it the weird sun spikes on his? Well, I think it's a bit too sunny for the fact that he was made by the Q Foundation and gets his powers supposedly because of a connection to uh, Quetzalcoatl. Because one of the things, you can go, uh, you know, type in Quetzalcoatl and it'll, it'll say, you know, in Wikipedia what he's the god of. And one of the things listed is technically the sun. Mm -hmm. That's not what he's... Not what he's about. That's not what he's about. It's more that he's such a big, important God that there's no way for him to 
not be somehow associated <laughs> with the sun. Um, it gets a little bit, like the sun thing is a little bit complicated. Um, and it also kind of depends on what uh, civilization you're talking about, because I believe uh, the Toltecs would sometimes make him a little bit more sun-related. But, like, if anything, Quetzalcoatl is going to be like wind and wisdom. Sometimes light, but not necessarily the sun. Okay, that makes sense. This is uh, this is the thing I was one of some of the most curious about talking to you about because I don't. I mean, we, we've talked about. It. I don't know Mesoamerican history or mythology very well. So if if I remember correctly, the biggest connection to the sun is because Quetzalcoatl was also the um, title for like the chief priest of the Toltecs. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not even the Toltecs in general, but like one of the various cities or something like. And real quick, the Toltecs are uh, just uh, another one of the uh, peoples down in that area. Perfect. Okay, thank you. There's we all think of Aztecs because of how big their empire got eventually. But you know, Aztecs, Mayans. But there's a Toltecs. bunch. Of, yeah, yeah they, there's a bunch of different tribes and a bunch of different factions. And it's like, like talking about Rome. There was a bunch of different mm-hmm. cultures. It wasn't just all Rome. So, like, at one point, I believe one of those priests was sacrificed in, like, a big thing that sort of got conflated with legend that has to do with the sun. I just don't like it. (laughs) We will get into a little bit later on why some of the sun motif is more important for him, but... This is super disappointing to find out. And I, you know, I I don't think Aztec is a bad character. I think you could take the name and some of the basic motif, give him to some actual Mesoamerican people and let them do something interesting. I was going to say, there's some really, really good, um, like, indigenous futuristic artists. Uh, a few of them I follow on Instagram. Uh God, I can't think of the guy off the top of my head, but very much. There's one guy in particular that uh, our, uh, I'll look it up here in a second, but he specializes in like Mesoamerican futurism. God, that sounds cool. Give I've, him Aztec. I've I've read some Afrofuturism, but I've never read Mesoamerican futurism. Um, let me see if I can find it real quick. Yeah, the, the, the artist's name is uh, Raul Cruz. He's a uh, rack roofie on Instagram, but like, here's like a futuristic Mayan. Ooh, rack roofie. Okay. I'm just writing that down real fast so I can remember it. Um, really cool stuff. Okay. I'm sorry. I don't want to, that sounded yeah. uh, just audio medium. Only um, so much we can show each other pictures. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I do. Okay. So Aztec Q foundation, Ties to Quetzalcoatl. Quetzalcoatl does have ties to the sun, but it's very obliquely, and it was it wouldn't be quite what you would be mostly known for. Okay, you would mostly go for like uh, Tonatia or Tia for that. The part that's interesting, but I think they overdo, is that Quetzalcoatl is part of four creator gods that together are known as the Fortescatlipoca. 
and Quetzalcoatl is the white Tezcatlipoca. Hence the white costume. Hence the white costume. Okay. It's a little bit overly white. Like, it's cool. The costume is mostly white with some gold and then a, a gold helmet with um, a bunch of spikes coming out of it in kind of a sun motif. It looks desperately uncomfortable to wear. Yeah, it's weird how white and sunny it is for a god who is the jeweled feathered serpent. Mm-hmm. I guess is where I run into the biggest problem with it. He does have little feathers that come under his arms when he's doing his flying thing. Jeweled feathered serpent. I know. I'm just, <laughs> I, I like the feather thing we brought up. Um, anyways, the, the basics of Aztec from the series before he was inducted into the league is that he was raised by the Q Foundation to fight some big coming evil. He wasn't given a whole lot of information on that big coming evil, and he was released out into the world, and he wasn't super ready for it. He doesn't really know how to be a person, mm. but he has kind of Doc Savage trained in everything stuff going on. I believe in his series, it's hinted that the big coming evil is some manifestation of Tezcatlipoca, who would be the black Tezcatlipoca out of the four of mm-hmm. them. Um, and then it's changed later. Spoiler alert, we will meet the big coming evil. Yeah, it's not Tezcatlipoca. No. But I believe that like they go hard at that because that... It's weird to put those two against each other just because they are part of the same uh, four creator gods. Mm -hmm. But it's not uncommon to have Quetzalcoatl facing off against Tezcatlipoca, but they... But it's not quite accurate either. It's... mm, It's complicated. It's not like they hate each other, but they generally also aren't playing for the same side. Okay. I, I, I get it at least enough for... Mm-hmm. This podcast, definitely going to look more into this later. We should talk more. I need to learn more Mesoamerican history. I honest, um, I feel like Onyx Equinox did it a little bit better where they're facing each other, but it's a bet. Ooh, yeah, okay. Now, that that clarifies it well. The big reveal here is it turns out that Lex Luthor has been secretly funding the Q Foundation so he could have his own superhero. And I guess for some reason, oh, because Lex Luthor doesn't understand that people are people and not products, he thought that that meant that Aztec would do what he says. This does a great job of Lex Luthor is brilliant, but he's such an egotist that he's a moron. Yeah. Like the failing of Lex Luthor is it doesn't occur to him that other people are sentient almost. Or... Even if he's calculated it to 99%, that 1% happens all the time with humans. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, this story starts with he's formed an injustice gang of uh, Cersei to be a counter to Wonder Woman, Ocean Master to be a counter to Aquaman, Dr. Light in his terrible 90s form that I forgot he had to be a counter to Green Lantern, Mirror Master to counter Flash, the Joker to counter Batman. Mm-hmm. Him to bount counter uh, Superman, Seems. and he has kidnapped. Oh God, the character's name is Jem, son of Saturn, who was originally intended to be a uh, reboot of Martian Manhunter before convinced to be a new character. Mm-hmm. The red alien guy mm-hmm. that sits in the chair the whole time had a like fifteen issue series of Zone. Wow, I've never read it. 
But it turns out that he is a red Martian, basically. He's a Saturnian that a group of Martians went to Saturn and set up a colony and became their own distinct species because they were okay. living on a different planet. So Martian-esque, but... Yes, but also tying more into John Carter, Warlord of Mars, because we now have green Martians, white Martians, and red Martians. Mm-hmm. And he's... But the basic start of this is he's playing various games. He has decided he's going to do a corporate takeover of the Justice League, which one, that sounding dangerous, is such a 90s thing. I'm going to do this boardroom style and no one can stop me. And then they immediately stop him is my favorite thing that they're like, this would be dangerous, but like we have Bruce Wayne. (laughs) (laughs) We know how to deal with corporate shenanigans. And not only is it like clearly, okay, we all caught on. They're forming an anti-league. We're on, we're, we're onto that. Okay, cool. Um, We can guess who they, they will be. If you're going to form an anti-league, you can guess within three people, maybe for each one, who you're going to select. It's a, it's not a <laughs> wide range of people. It's going to be Lex. It's probably going to be Cersei. Mm-hmm. It could be Cheetah, but Cersei's probably more likely. Like, forgettable guy with various Green Lantern wannabe powers. One of the rogues. That's like six people. Yeah. You know? Ocean Master or Black Manta, but we're probably not going for the guy whose weapon is a harpoon gun. But, you know, sometimes you just need that big helmet in the room. (laughs) Does shoot lasers. But meanwhile, Metron crashes into the League and throws everything into a loop. Now, for those of you who don't know, Metron is the new god of knowledge. And by new god of knowledge, I mean the new gods, a.k.a. Jack Kirby. I don't know how it was surprising to me when Metron showed up, when I know kind of the where the story was going in general. Well, and they've already been, like, setting these up as kind of, as we talked about, a lot of god mythology going on, so mm-hmm. it makes sense that we're going to meet the new gods. Right. This is, uh, real quick, before, uh, Metron is, as I said, the, the god of knowledge, He is a kind of, he's loosely based off Spock from Star Trek of that, like, cold and calculating, but with a lot less of the morality Mm -hmm. that um, Spock has. He is uh, technically on the side of New Genesis, the the good guys, but does his own shit for the most part. He... Does what he calculates to be right. Mm -hmm. And now in this one is confusing, (laughs) but he's being manipulated or he's been take. This is this is confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, He possesses the Mobius chair, which is what's important. It's a a big time travel through space and time kind of chair. Yeah, it's like super Internet, too. Yeah, it's kind of the TARDIS, but a chair. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> sounds so dumb. This is where Morrison gets to be his most Morrison because there is something about the way Morrison writes cosmic stuff. He taps into some of that Jack Kirby wildness better than almost anyone can, partially because he doesn't just ape Jack Kirby. He adds his own insane shit to it. Also, they've done a lot of drugs. Oddly. Oh, yeah. You said they, and I was like, but Kirby didn't. No, Kirby just read a lot. 
Morrison has done a lot of drugs. Morrison did a lot of drugs. <laughs> Morrison will talk at length about the amount of drugs they've done. <laughs> it's amazing. Doom Patrol exists because they stayed up all night watching Shex Surrealist films and taking speed while writing scripts and being like, well, that was interesting. <laughs> but anyways, Flash, Green Lantern, and Aquaman are pulled away by Metron as part of a trap. And I don't fully understand this, but they're trying to track down the Philosopher's Stone, which will also be known as the Warlagog. Kind of hate that name, but... It's a very Morrison thing, and it becomes a an ongoing Morrison mm-hmm. thing. Uh, I do like that, like, Green Lantern is talking about being thrown through different realities and stuff. That could have easily been a three or four issue arc. He did it in two, in a page. Yeah. Just like, and then I was doing this and then fuck, it was wild. I was doing this. <laughs> and you're like, man, I wish I knew more about that, but it's not really that important. Right. But I'm understanding the scale of what he's been through. And it turns out that this is a Metron from like a dark future. That's trying to make sure that that, that future is happen. happen. No, that it does oh, happen. Right. Because this uh, Metron has been taken over by Darkseid, who has successfully done the anti-life equation. We don't have time to get into Darkseid and the anti-life equation. Um, But the three of them find themselves on Wonderworld, which is like almost superhero Valhalla. It's like the League on a bigger scale than Mm -hmm. the League is. And this is already, this is an entire world of people who operate. If, if we are gods to ants, the people of wonder world are almost gods to us. Yeah. The, the league are ants compared to wonder world. It's implied, which is, hard to deal with considering the stuff that the league deals with. Yeah. The league deals, especially this incarnation of the league deals with threats to earth and life as we know it. Mm-hmm. Wonderworld is implied to deal with the universe and state of existence as we know it constantly. It's a scale that comics have since picked up on, you know, Jonathan Hickman's secret wars deals with some of the stuff that like was started in this. Um, a lot of the big event end of the world, dark Knights metal stuff would have been like one the world back in the day. Right. Um, metal. If I remember right though, like they, um, Snyder, uh, immediately is like, yeah, no, we're kind of going off Morrison stuff. Oh, it heavily borrows from final crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barbados, the bat God is from his, uh, Mostly the return of Bruce Wayne, but I think it does show. I haven't read Final Crisis in years. It is Morrison at their most Morrison, so um, I can't begin to explain it. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, it's revealed that Metron is a fake. It's it makes sense when I read it. Yeah, yeah, I'm having a hard (laughs) time uh, trying to clear this up any. I just keep getting caught up as as I start to think about the more new God section and the future earth and everything fucking dark side is, is so bad ass. We're going to jump forward to that. So they are trying to go back in time. It's basically revealed that it's 
one of the things that Lex Luthor is using to, to, to win with the Injustice Gang is the Philosopher Stone, a.k.a. the Whirlagog, mm-hmm. which he's using to control and manipulate reality. By defeating the Justice Gang and destroying the Warlagog, it will allow Darkseid to take over and destroy Earth as we know it. Basically destroy reality as we know mm-hmm. it. These three use the Hyper Wheel, the Hyper Treadmill or something. It's basically yeah. Flash's Cosmic Treadmill, but on a Wonderworld Wonder World scale to go back in time to stop all of this from happening. But they fuck up and they end up in the dark future where Darkseid has won. Darkseid is. Darkseid is was so good. Darkseid is is this like ongoing commentary of Darkseid. Like he says that a lot, but that is the panel where you go, oh, you are the god of like darkness and evil and terror in a way that I understand. Well, I love it too, because it's set up, it's not really commented on through the issue. It's just set up at the beginning at like part of what sets the stage for them being in this future earth is you see the propaganda posters up and they all just say dark side is. I would put that poster up in my house. 100%. (laughs) And it kind of just fades to the background and it might pop up here and there in the background of a panel and you don't think about it too much. And then you get to the very end and dude's introducing Darkseid. And he goes, the, the, you know, gives all these titles and what he is. And then Darkseid steps out and says that. And you're like, yes! I love Thanos. Thanos is one of my all-time favorite comic book characters. And I actually think he has much more nuance than Darkseid. But a good Darkseid story, you really are like, oh, that's why we were ripping off Darkseid with Thanos. I mean... <laughs> That's that's kind of what I hope eventually Gunn starts building towards in the DCU is to get to that moment. If you could recreate Darkseid is on the big screen, people are going to shit themselves. Snyderverse kind of tried, but didn't quite get there. Yeah. For multiple reasons. In this alternate reality, Aquaman's an old man. I mean, they're all kind of old man. Yeah. Uh, uh, Kyle has been turned into a, I think they call them swarm trooper, but they're mm-hmm. basically a minion of dark side. And the flash is fat and without the speed force anymore. He's not even that fat. He's like no. me fat, but you know, he's not the world's fastest man. That was, that was, the, that was the one thing I ran up against is like, I saw him and I'm like, all right, he's a big guy, but he's all sitting there like complaining. He's like, I can barely stand up. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> As two kind of heavy set dudes. Um, like go fuck yourself right now, Wally. I'm really not happy with you currently. <laughs> The League, as it now exists, is the Adam, a couple of former Teen Titans. Azteca, who is a replacement to Aztec, which they should have just called her Aztec. Yeah. Still. I In the, like, four pages she gets, I think I like her better than Aztec, though. In the New 52, or in DC Rebirth, Steve Orlando, who wrote that Midnighter series that we liked uses Aztec, but it is a character closer to Azteca, but still just called Aztec. So I've not read that series, but the series where he uses her, but uh, I'm hoping that it's good. But 
at this point, it becomes kind of a, a traditional, we have to get to the tchotchke device to get travel back in time to stop this dark future from happening. Mm -hmm. We find out that Batman gets incredibly cool moments because... He defeated Desaad, the god of torture, basically. Waited him out. <laughs> Waited him out and took over. And uh, we'll... That was a badass reveal. Yes, that was super good. That's another... Dude, legitimately, like, Rock of Ages, uh, a version of Rock of Ages is what they should be shooting for in the DCU mm -hmm. to counter Marvel. And if you wanted to do the Snyderverse stuff, I mean, I disagree with pretty much everything of how they were setting up the dark future in Snyderverse, but Rock of Ages would have been the way to aim towards instead of the whatever the fuck they were mm -hmm. aiming towards, in my opinion. Um, I mean, it, there's Rock of Ages in there. It is. There is. Like, Nightmare Sequence is very close to... Yeah, I'm more thinking of that awful bit of Batman saying he'll one day kill the Joker because they're forced mm -hmm. to work together, yada yada, in the Snyder Cut. Right. How is Rock of Ages the best thing that we read of the three and the absolute, like, most impossible to talk about? Because it goes ever. We You start with Injustice Gang and you end with time travel and, like, them gradually becoming ghosts and needing to do things in a time limit. and Or they're ghosts and they're gradually becoming more solid. Yeah, basically, they have to get out of here fast soon enough or they'll be stuck here permanently. Also, it ends with Batman killing Darkseid and being killed in the process, and then Orion, son of Darkseid, destroys all of reality? Yeah. <laughs> you know. As what happens. As one does. Wonder Woman's got some great moments. The Adam's got an interesting new costume. I don't know if I like the white, but I think I like the short sleeves on the Adam. Oh, I do too. I like the short sleeves on the Adam. I sorry, I had to find the the little setup for the dark side is. The hour has come. He has come. Who is beyond good and evil? Who is the prophet of anti-life? Who is the rock and the chain and the lightning? all-powerful, all-unforgiving, all-conquering, who is your new god now and forever? Dark side is. Boom. In the animated series, what is it, Michael Irons? No, not Michael. Um, um, Michael Ironside? Michael Ironside, who has such a just great, threatening voice. You need a, like, good, deep, gravelly voice for Dark Side. Ooh, Tony Todd does the Dark Side's voice in all the animated original movies. And that's well, that's the one. most brilliant casting I've possibly ever heard. Dude, yeah, Tony Todd. Uh, Tony Todd, for those not aware, he plays... He's the Candyman. He's the Candyman. He plays Kern, Worf's brother in Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. And he plays uh, Zoom yes. in Flash Season 2. The voice for Zoom. The voice for Zoom, yes. Who is kind of Klingon evil Flash, so it makes me happy that they got Worf's <laughs> brother to do that. Worf would have been a great dark yeah. side as well. Like, mm -hmm. it, you, But you need that kind of, like, deep, booming voice that I cannot mimic. Like, uh, Dark side is, is what they should be building towards. Yes, absolutely. Uh, oh, God, the thing that we haven't brought up in all of this is Plastic Man. Oh, yeah. 
plastic, they get Plastic Man to infiltrate the Injustice Gang, and you think Joker's just being a jackass the entire time, and it turns out that it's Plastic, plastic Man, Man being, a jackass, being a jackass for a purpose, trying to to break the Martian Manhunter counter out of the control that they have. Mm-hmm. And being incredibly dangerous, actually, like being really good at his job. Cersei turns him to a pig, but because he's Plastic Man, it just doesn't it doesn't matter. Stick. He hangs out as a pig for a while anyways, just because... It's fun? Yeah. Because <laughs> why kind not? He's a cute pig. Yeah. And he's kind of a pig in the process. Like, he's a yeah. little horny in it. But Plas has always been a little horny, so that works. There's just so much that happens in Rock of Ages. I will say I do love Plas is a giant goof. Doesn't take anything seriously throughout the entire, the entire bit. World-ending stuff happening, and he's, like, in the back doing Looney Tunes shit. Mm -hmm. Until Lex Luthor, in an attempt to stop everything, shoots Jem, son of Saturn. And suddenly, like, the moment that someone is seriously injured and about to die, Plaz is serious and just punches Luthor out. It is the one time, the only panel, that we don't see him doing an over-the-top expression. Yeah. He's smiling in every panel, or... Doing a like over the top, literally Looney Tunes like awooga like fear. Man, why couldn't we have gotten a Jim Carrey in his prime Plastic Man? Yo, I would have been into that. Like we got the mask, and that was about as close as we're mm-hmm. gonna get. God, who would play Plaz today? I know that's I'm having a problem with that. I don't know if I have someone that could <clears throat> not do off it. the top of my head. Like, oh. I almost want to say like Andy Samberg, but he's not the right kind of like, oh my God. Yeah. Oh, that's going to bother me. And then it ends with Connor quitting the league. Aztec quitting the league for very different reasons. Connor's like, I just can't. You guys deal with stuff bigger I just then want I to know what to do in an with. Like, yeah, and beat, I beat some ass. <laughs> oh, we didn't even cover the whole Connor goes undercover, betraying the league kind of stuff. So much happens in like three issues. As much happens in three issues as the previous like twelve. Yeah, but it doesn't feel crowded at any point. Morrison is playing at the top of his game in some cases here. Aztec quits because he's like, oh my god. Everything I knew might be a lie. Lex Luthor created me. What do I do with this? And then the final page is Superman, Batman, and Aquaman stepping out, talking. Martian Manhunter should have been in there, but I guess he was busy doing surgery. Mm -hmm. And disbanding the League. Dun-dun-dun. Which is part of the reason why I stopped us here. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. Um... So Grant Morrison will, we read the first 15 issues. Grant Morrison will write through issue, I believe 42, but he only does about 30 issues total. I think there right, are there's a couple other, mostly Mark Wade, who is one of the better justice league writers. So that's fine. And Miller we, does do one, right? He, and it's fine. I want to say it's the Adam strange stories. Mm. Uh, we'll cover them over either next week or the following. All of the stuff, we will read those one because it's just easier just to bash through. Right. And uh, two, because why not? 
it it does show the level of like oh these writers I mean Mark Wade's good Mark Wade mm-hmm. is one of the most dependable writers of the last forty years of comic books, but Morrison's brilliant, and this I mean, and to the point that it sometimes harms his books, but this is where we really see the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any? Further thoughts, ideas, anything you want to put in before I'm going to mention what we read, what we're reading for next time? Nope. Okay, we're good. Cool. Yeah, we're, I was worried that this was going to be a short episode because our first half was so tiny, but, um. <laughs> nope. I don't nice long one. JLA, man. I wasn't. Okay. So next time we will be reading, it's collected as Strength in Numbers, which is JLA 16 through 23 as well as New Year's Evil Prometheus and Heroes from JLA Secret Files and Origins. I'll just lend you the book. As well as we will be reading the JLA 1 million crossover event. And it'll be the collected edition that it is mostly just the miniseries JLA 1 million. Although it does tie in some of the other... They did a lot of like Batman 1 million, Mm -hmm. Superman 1 million, Young Justice 1 million. It's if you read it, it's not the omnibus, but it's just the the JLA okay. one million crossover. Uh, basically, we meet the JLA from the year one million. I'm okay with this. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, stuff that he starts there will get talked about in Super All Star Superman. Like, oh God, that's something else we didn't bring up was Our Man showing up. Oh my God, there's so much stuff. Our Man is so cool in this. Our Man is so cool. <laughs> um, he is a sentient nano cloud, basically nano form, but nanobots forming into a single being from the year 1 million, who is a member of the justice Legion alpha, AKA the JLA from the year 1 million, who is the apprentice of the new God Metron and the holder of the Warlagog, AKA the philosopher's philosopher's stone. stone. So cool. And he's got a cool cape. (laughs) Such a good cape. Oh my God. Okay. That's for next time. He will come up more next time. We will talk about him then. In the meantime, we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Hi, everybody. General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it as the whole world is around on algorithms and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, also, I mean, tell your friends, we always appreciate that. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, email us generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. Uh, while you're there, check out all of our back catalog or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.